walk for you with you closer. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. The book of Isaiah is uh, out of the Old Testament. It was considered by many Hebrew scholars to be one of the main books to, to be known. Many of the scriptures that uh, people that uh, were of, of the Jewish faith that we would memorize came out of, uh, out of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah wrote from around 750 uh, B.C., uh, what we've been sharing on Sunday nights was some of the history that goes with the Old Testament. The Assyrians had conquered uh, the the nation of Israel, which was the northern kingdom, which had split uh, after King Solomon, and and uh, so the northern kingdoms, and then there was uh, uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, and 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 they had not been conquered by Assyria, but soon would be conquered by the uh, Babylonians. And so, Isaiah is writing right in the midst of that. And much of what he prophesies has to do with that what is coming on Israel. And the fact that Israel was uh, due a, a judgment because they had fallen away from God. They had turned their away from the light of God, if you will, and, and followed after so many other things than the things of God. And including idols and and. and and trust in their ability. Uh, there were even some uh, uh, of Judah the, that were thinking, well, if we could maybe make an alliance with Egypt, we would be able to uh, avoid Babylon. Well, what they couldn't understand was the same thing that goes clear back to when they were looking to go into the land of Israel and the, and, and the Canaanite land first, the land of promise at the first time. They said, oh, gee, we can't go in there. Look at all the, the giants and the and the, the, the men ready to fight and all this kind of stuff. How would we ever... And God says, haven't you got it yet? I'm going to do this. And here they are again at that same point, trusting in what they can figure out to do rather than resting in God. And uh, so, uh, Isaiah's writing in the midst of this. And yet, in the very midst of this, he, he is, uh, you know... He's looking at, at things that are of the future, of, of great joy, and, and, and the kingdom of God, the coming of the kingdom of God in such a way that, that there will be eternal peace, peace forever. And, uh, and so, he's seeing the judgment come and then he's seeing way down the road uh, a, a future uh, of, of great joy. Isaiah you know, had, well, I, I have to say this, all the prophets, I do believe, knew that God was using them because some of their lines would be, thus saith the Lord, so to speak, and, 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 and they were making it clear, this is what God is saying. But I think of, of, of one of, of the experiences that Isaiah had, which is one of the most clear pictures of knowing that God is talking to me. And, and it's Isaiah chapter 6. Let me share it with you. In the year of King Uzziah died, uh, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With, with two He covered His face, and with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called to another said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. This is Isaiah speaking. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He's saying, I'm in the presence of God. I am an unclean man. I'm doomed. He understood to be in the presence of God. The idea was very clear in the Old Testament that you must be holy to to be in His presence. In some very unique way of vision, God's allowing this to happen. And then one of the seraphim flew over to me and having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What did Isaiah do to become holy? Nothing. God did it for him. He said, this is to cover your lips that are unclean. This is to cover your sins that need to be atoned for. And this is a picture of, of, of Christ coming as well, as far as I'm concerned. And then that picture of the idea of Christ bringing uh, healing and, and atonement for us. So Isaiah had this, these, this time with, you know, he's speaking out for God. And, and right in the middle of chaos, and he's speaking a, a future and a hope that is, that is amazing. Within the framework of that, uh, Isaiah also speaks of, of Christ in unique ways that you can't mistake now looking back. I think, you know, when, when we were preaching about uh, uh, John the Baptist, and, 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 and then when we shared in the, the, uh, uh, the evening class as well, John the Baptist and, and you know, the idea that he was in prison and he asked Jesus, are you the one? And what was the cause of, of, of this momentary doubt was the reality that he was looking ahead just as Isaiah would be looking ahead here and seeing all of this. You, know, you have to come and he's saying, I thought you were supposed to bring the kingdom now. That's what all of the Hebrew people believed. They had missed one part that Isaiah actually makes very clear. But they still couldn't put it together. Isaiah 53, the chapter called The, the Suffering Servant, which is an amazing picture of the cross and Jesus' sacrifice for us. And prophetically telling us so much about what was going to happen. So Isaiah, he speaks of Christ before He became came to earth. He speaks of, of Christ coming to earth in chapter 9. Uh, Unto you a child is born, and we won't go into that now. That's coming up in one of our messages. But he spoke of, of, the, of the Christ being born, and then he speaks of the future Christ. In many ways, uh, Isaiah is thought of, and I was thinking there was two different people that, that made reference to this uh, in, in great detail, was, was Isaiah was, was kind of like the, an Old Testament gospel, bringing the good news, telling about Jesus Christ. Some went really uh, far to explain this uh, uh, in, in detail. Uh, in the sense that Isaiah has 66 chapters to it. But 
man puts the chapters to it, so I don't know that we can. We want to be careful how we take these analogies. But there is 66 chapters to the book of Isaiah. And the first uh, 39 chapters uh, are, are kind of like book one, and from chapter 40 is book two. And it's an interesting, the first 37 chapters of the Bible are the Old Testament, and, and, and the next 27 are the New Testament. And interestingly enough, the division point at chapter 40 talks about the John the Baptist and his coming to, to prepare the way for the Christ. So, it, it is an appropriate book to look at the Christ before, during, and after and in the sense of his, he, he, his plan to come, He has come, and He is coming again. And the fact that we have the opportunity to live with confidence because of what He has done in the hope of His coming and, and all that He has yet to do. The verses that I have to share with you this morning where we will be starting is in chapter 2 and uh, the first five verses. So Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, and that we may walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And he shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. What a powerful, powerful picture. Uh, numbers of songs written over the centuries to, to capture those words. Um, there are some churches that you will you go to that as, as a part of their outside uh, uh, design, if you will, actually have a plow, uh, an old uh, horse-drawn type plow as a part of their, their decor outside with that idea of looking forward to the final piece that God brings. And uh, so uh, that, that picture of, of no more war, peace. And then, then this fifth verse, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the life of the Lord. So it starts off with, with Isaiah. He says, he saw the Word. Does that strike anyone as, as, as an interesting phrase? He, he, did, he wasn't reading this. He saw the Word. And some people say you can over-spiritualize this and say he was actually seeing the Lord. I think that's possible. But the idea of seeing the Word more than anything else was that it was more than just hearing it. It was an experience that he was having that encompassed his, his being, if you will. He could see what he was hearing. He could see it as if he were there. And what he saw was that in the latter days, which would mean a future event, and, and today we understand that to be what, what frequently we would call, certainly back in the, in the 70s when I became a Christian, and it was something that almost everybody talked about was end times. 
You know, actually, since Jerusalem became a nation again in 1948, people have been talking about end times. You know, see, God has raised up the, the, the Jewish people and, and, and gone through. And so many pastors have, have preached end times messages. Uh, it's going to happen here. It's going to happen here. But we're, God makes it clear. No man knows the time or the hour that it's going to happen. And that we all are living in end times for this generation. So it does, it, we should treat it as such. We are living in end times. But in the latter times, there was, there was a point in time where he says the house of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the mountain is going to be uh, lifted up. Look at it again. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. Now, I have not been to the, the, the Palestinian area. I have not been to Israel. I know some of you have. And some of you have seen, you know, and have been in Jerusalem, seen where the Temple Mount is. And if you were to stand on that, is it the highest place around the mountains that it's in? It's not. You can, from, on a clear day from there, you can see other mountains definitely higher. And yet it says this is going to be the highest place. I, I believe in a, in a God is going to do something in its supernatural way that He does. New heaven, new earth, and, he's going, and it's going to stand above all others. And, and I was trying to think about this as, as a, the highest mountains. Uh, it's going to stand above all the hills, certainly in prestige, if nothing less, but I think it's going to be literal. But that's how I see it. Uh, and... and I was thinking about this and, and my own experiences on standing at high points. And, uh, you know, uh, being raised in, in the, the southern coastal area, uh, San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, uh, especially in Santa Barbara. I can remember we lived up on the, on the, the, what, the hillside of, of, of the San Marcos Mountains, the, the low hills. And you could see from our house all the down to the, to the ocean, to the, you could see the harbor, you could see the pier, you could see the breakwater. Uh, you could see the Channel Islands about 30 miles off the coast. And on a nice day, occasionally you could see between two of the islands and see that the ocean went beyond that. I grew up seeing that. When I first went to a beach that didn't have the Channel Islands, I wasn't sure I wanted to go in the water. Because uh, those islands would come, you know, it's kind of like, well, there's no stopping this thing. Uh, and, and that was a beautiful picture. You could see a lot from that point. But as soon as I turned around and looked, there were more mountains behind me. So I wasn't on the pinnacle. I wasn't standing at the highest point. And he says here that, that it, it, the picture is, is one of uh, the highest of the mountains and, and shall be lifted above all of the hills. And so I was trying to think of where I have stood, where I could possibly at least say I've experienced something that is akin to this. Certainly not as glorious, but something that was awe-inspiring. And it was the first time I had been to Lassen Park. And I, we hiked all the way up, the, and, and we're at the top of Lassen, and we look around, and Lassen is, is, is a, I, I think it's around 3,000, four, four, maybe 4,000 feet above the terrain around it. And, and I, I always wonder, hindsight, looking back, why I, I took a, a whole fifth and sixth grade class up there. That's a, it's a live volcano. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, 
we, we looked around and it was awe-inspiring. You, you stood literally above everything in such a way that, that the, the highest ground beneath you was several thousand feet down. And it was awesome until you looked a little to the north and west. You saw Shasta. And you realized you were not standing on the highest place. But I've got to stand there too since then. But it's not the highest place either. But I think in California it's fifth. Uh, and, and, and Shasta at around 14,000, almost 15,000 feet. And it's, it's higher up from its natural, the, the plane below it, by another 1,000, 2,000 feet than, than Lassen is around the plane below it. And so it is an amazing thing to tower over something. And somehow I see that in this picture. As you are flowing up this, that's an interesting picture by itself, flowing up the mountain to see the Lord. The word flowing has to do with the idea of a stream. Have you ever seen a stream flowing uphill? There are a few that do for a little ways. But they do it you know, without, you know, it's, they don't do it peacefully. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, you can see that there's a pressure and all the stuff that makes it happen. But, but, but the idea of this idea of flowing, just a, a peaceful flow to come into the presence of the Lord. And when you're up there, you realize your mountain towers, the one you're on towers over everything else around you. And, and uh, there isn't something, even in the physical sense of what I have experienced up to now, awe inspiring about doing that or standing at any vista and there are many in california where you see god's creation in some special way uh, or people that i've not done it stand at the great divide and look out and and i've seen i've seen a place over in king's canyon where you stand and you can see the great divide uh but but you you uh amazing God is trying to bring a picture to us here that would be something that would be awe-inspiring. You know, there, there's nothing higher than. There is nothing greater than God and His presence. So, in the latter days, this future event that, that Isaiah is looking to is... I believe, tied to the second coming of Christ, the, the new heavens, the new earth, and, and all that comes with that. And, and he's seeing this hope, this vision. He is seeing this Word in the midst of absolute chaos. It's one of those things where if you were to look around in the world around you at that point in time, you're going to say, what's the point? What's the point? I have to say, we've seen a lot of that, I think, in our own culture in, in, the, in the last few decades and even in the last few months. People having an attitude, what's the point? Here's the point. There is a God of all creation and who is in His sovereignty and absolute control and He points to a, a place and time where, where He will triumph over all darkness. The point is, God is. And He's revealed Himself through Jesus Christ. And I was, you know, why were the people wanting to, to come? They were, it says they were flowing up, this, up the hills uh, to, to come and see the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob that 
He may teach us His ways. They were saying so that we can learn the things of God, that we can see the things of God. And I believe with all of my heart that that is something that is eternal in its nature. When we see all things clearly, as, as, as Paul tells us, at, at the point in time we see Christ face to face, he says we'll see all things clearly. I don't be, think he means that everything that God knows, but he, that we will understand what God has, has been doing in our life, with our life. And we will see clearly. And I've shared it many times with you. The other side of the tapestry. Being under the tapestry and not being able to see clearly except all the thread tied off. Getting on the, on the, the, the picture side of the tapestry and seeing it. And just being again in awe of what God has done. And, and he says we have that ahead of us. We'll have eternity to search God's mind. To search His ways. So that He might teach us His ways. So that we may walk in His paths. And the Word will go out from Jerusalem. There is peace. There is no more war. And I looked at this and, I, and, I, and the thing that got me though was verse 5. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light. Of the Lord. The response of the people was to be this, to this message. I don't think that this was the the, the vision part as much as, as as okay, what is your response to seeing this this message I've given you? What's your response to, to hearing of this great mountain and the temple of God and coming to to, to learn his ways and, and to rest in him and to know him? What's your response? Come. Let's rest in the light of the Lord. Let's walk in the light of the Lord. Let's respond to this, this Word of God by walking in His light. You go on to read after this, starting with verse 6, and, and, and you, you, you see that, that, that Judah did the opposite. Isaiah was saying, we have a reason to turn away from the way we're headed. Look at what God has said. Hear what God has said. Come and see this together with me, what God has is, is promised. And I thought, this is a line is to us just as much as it was to them. When you hear this, when you think of this, and especially when we know that Isaiah 53 has come to pass and that Jesus Christ has been on the cross and has been buried and, and raised and, and, and purchased our sin, uh, the, the, covered our sins, purchased the, uh, paid the price of, of our sins, that, that what should we, our response be? Let us walk in the light of the Lord. To walk as a sense of action. There needs to be a desire to do this. And by the way, I'm going to suggest to you that that's not a natural desire. How many of you have a problem sometimes with, your, with, with prayer or getting to the Word or other things because there's a busy day? Or a busy season of our lives? And yet it's interesting 
how there's a little something nagging at us. That's the Holy Spirit in us saying, come back, come back. It is so easy to get distracted with earthly lights. But there is only, earthly lights are, are at best lights with shadow. Does that make any sense to you? Think about it. Every light casts, you know, the, the idea of casting a shadow. There is only one light that casts no shadow in the sense of its perfectness. And that's the light of Christ. And He asks us to come to it, to walk in it, to join Him in it. A place where there's no hint of darkness even though we live in the present in a fallen world full of darkness. We sang this morning, Death, where is your sting? And Janet Harwood would say, there is no sting. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. And resting in His light and in His salvation. We say we long for this day. We're told that we can rest in its hope as a sure thing. And that means we don't have to wait to have this confidence. We don't have to wait to have this hope. We don't have to somehow think down the road we'll, we'll be older, wiser, more mature or, or less problems or better off financially that we'll be able to think of godly things. You know, it was an amazing thing to a lot of the Hebrew people as Jesus spoke. You know, He says, rich men are going to have a bigger struggle with the kingdom of God than the poor. And the, 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 the uh, disciples were going to have, an, have a struggle with that because the rich men got to stand around the gate and, and talk about the Bible and talk about the Word of God Talk, you know, and 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 debate words of of scripture and and opinions and all this kind of stuff. And how many of you are familiar with the 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 fiddler on the roof? What was obvious one big thing? If I were a rich man, what could I do? I could stand at the gate and and be with those guys. But Jesus says it's 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 that that's not the way it works. It's resting in Him. He is the light of the world. In fact, that's exactly what John says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say, and the Word was the light of the world. And then it says the Word became flesh. That means the light became flesh. And dwelt among us. He revealed to us, according to verse 18 of, of, of John chapter 1, that He revealed to us the, 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 the Father to the point where He could say, if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. And we don't have to wait to rest in this light. Uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, more of a, uh, an evangelistic message in the sense of inspiring people to to be prepared to give their testimony with the Lord. But uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, In your hearts honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason. Now this is what they ask, you know, for a reason, for the hope 
that is in you. Yeah, do it with gentleness and respect. <laughs> don't, don't bang them over the head with it. Okay? Uh, the hope that is in you. And that struck me, I don't know why, more today, the idea of in you. I, I, a number of, of, of commentaries and stuff talk about the, the light and getting into this verse of, of Isaiah chapter five, uh, or chapter two, verse five, and talking about how the moon reflects the light of the sun, and where you know we reflect the light of, of Christ. That's I don't believe that is an accurate picture. We don't reflect the light; we we shine the light. Does that make sense? The light is not something that we're not like a piece of metal that gets all shiny and we reflect the light like a lighthouse. It's, Jesus says, you are the light. Jesus didn't say, go out and reflect me. He said, you are the light. In fact, he said, go out and be me. And so I, uh, this idea of walking in this path and walking in his light is a sense of, of, of coming to know him in such a way that, that we start to think the way he thinks and hear the way he hears and, and, and see the way he sees. And it will change the way you look at things. And people will start to say, oh, I'll pick on Alan. Alan, you see things differently. <laughs> Everybody, yeah, he does. Uh, no, uh, sorry, Alan. <laughs> That's why I picked on you. Um, instead of Brad. Uh, but anyway... Uh, you, 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 you see things differently. And you do. You can be in the midst of, of a tragedy and people are saying, you know, how can you find that silver lining in the midst of this darkness? And it has nothing to do with silver linings. It has to do with the light of Christ and the confidence that He has given us and the hope that He has shown us. That not only has He saved us, but He has saved us for an eternity of walking with Him in His light and knowing Him. He is in us. He's not around us. He is in us. Through the Holy Spirit, He indwells us. As we know Jesus as our Savior, we begin to know and see Him as the light, the way to go the direction that we, we see. And, and it changes, like I said, it changes the things that we do. And we don't all change the same way or at the same time. Some people get really caught up with certain specific things that need to happen as you become a Christian. And if it doesn't happen in that order, they, they, they kind of like, well, that's not the way it happened to me. I'm not sure you're saved. You know, well, whatever it is that needs to happen for you, God is doing. The Holy Spirit is doing if He's called you and opened your eyes to His Word you're, and you're saved, then he's, he's doing what is necessary to, to reveal Himself to you in such a way that you walk in His life. And we don't all get the same ideas at the same time at the same place. But we can all rest with this one assurance. He has done and is doing what He said He would do. Open, the Lord opens our eyes to His Word. And through His Word, we grow in Him. This is not something done artificially, in a sense, by yourself. You know, uh, 
I know some of you uh, through work experiences and stuff like that where you've gone to to self-help, you know, and 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 what do they call them? Inspirational talks. There's a word for it. Uh, motivational speakers and stuff like that. And and sometimes they have that point where, uh, okay, in our workshop today, you know, everybody's just lay back and and clear your mind. I had one person tell me that he was not going to clear his mind. He wanted his mind full of Christ. Wasn't that, did I get it right, Phil? <laughs> and 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 you know the, that reality of of you know knowing who you know who he is he's the one that brings my peace because of him I'm at peace with God you know uh, because of him my sins are paid for and paid in full therefore I'm at peace with God I can approach his throne in peace with God knowing that I won't be rejected but received. And so much so that I can ask for His mercy and His grace and He'll grant it to me for whatever my need is. John explained in, in, in John chapter 3, right after verse 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son to uh, about the light and the darkness. Uh, in fact, let's take a, a quick look at that. Uh, John chapter 3. Uh, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Judgment Day is going to be kind of hindsight looking back. It's going to say, you never received. Therefore, you're condemned already when you refuse Christ. And look at how it describes it. The people loved the darkness rather than the light. What's the difference? You know, the light is of Christ and Christ alone. The darkness is anything else that does not declare Christ. I've been told that that means almost everything that you know of in this world. Yep. I didn't write it. <laughs> it's what it says. Now, be careful how I, I do this in reference to people. Because we can still go to nature and even though it's been corrupted because of our sin, we can still see God and in, 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 in what he has done to the point where the more we understand about science and the more that we see it, the more it seems like there must have been an intelligent designer out there. But he is God, the Father, in Christ the Son, Holy Spirit. They, they liked the darkness better than they liked the light. They preferred the darkness over the light. They chose the darkness over the light. But if you have Jesus Christ in your heart, you have chosen the light. Do we still battle the darkness? Wretched man that I am, yes. But because of Jesus Christ, I rest with the confidence there's no condemnation in me that I have salvation, that I am joint heirs with Jesus, that I am a child of God, and nothing is going to separate me from the love of God because He has called me, chosen me, and revealed Himself to me.
and he has put me in his life. Hope is in us. God has put it in us. The light is in us. It shines out of us. We change. 1 John, I, I uh, referenced it already, but quick look at it. First uh, uh, John chapter 1. Starting with the fifth verse, in fact, the title of this and you know how your your some of the bibles have headings of titles of sections it says walking in the light this is the message we have heard from the from him and proclaimed to you that god is light and in him is no darkness at all if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness and this idea of walk in darkness is means we choose the path of darkness not just slip up foul up but we choose the path of darkness we don't we say we have light but we don't ever follow it. Okay? Instead, we follow after darkness. If that's who we are, we can say we have light all we want. He's gonna, he says, uh, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth, again, is not in us. But if we confess our sins, these are people who have been called in Christ and salvation, walking in the light, desiring to be there. If we slip up and foul up, and it doesn't say how many times. It just says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you might not sin. If we stopped there, I'd be in trouble. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His Word in Him truly, the love of God is perfected. And what he's talking about is, is you know, do we read His Word and do we look at this as our standard for, for, for living? Is this the sense of our values? Do we get our values from the world and the light of the world? Or do we get our values from the kingdom of God and His Word. And, and, and even when we mess up at that point, He says, you're not separated. And, and we've all experienced this, all of us that walk with Christ. We've had that point where we may have walked in certain sins for a, a lengthy period of time. Some of them may be all your Christian walk and all of a sudden it becomes to you as, as certain things have gotten out of the way, you can for the first time see and say, oh my goodness, God doesn't like this. And it comes to you to say, I want to be something different. God, how do I do? I have this picture in my mind of a huge boulder. Some of you have heard this before. And I'm at the edge of a cliff. This huge boulder, this huge thing in my life that I'm trying to get rid of. And I put my back against it. It's right at the edge of the cliff. It should go over. Have you, you push things. Well, maybe you shouldn't do that. Huh? <laughs> uh, 
Maybe you push things off a cliff. Uh, but, but, but anyway, you, are you putting your boulder into it and thinking it's going to go into the business, it's going to be gone, it will never bother me again. I can't get it to budge. So I solicit some of my friends in prayer and say, come and pray with me. Let's push this together and see if we can get it. And we're putting our backs into it and we can't get it. And then finally I yield and say, God, I, I, I surrender. I don't know what to do. And God kind of pulls you around to the other side and you see this, this, this rock wedged in front of it. And it's something that is a little sin, comparatively speaking, as far as the world's light is concerned. And, and you're saying, and, and, and it's keeping this huge thing from going off. It's wedged. You know, like a brick under a tire. You know, the spare emergency brake. Uh, and, 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 and so you, you pray and God just lifts that out of you. And as you turn around, you catch a glimpse of, a, of this huge thing just falling off the cliff by itself. To me, that's this idea of, of, of coming to Christ and resting in Him and, and, and looking for Him to walk my life, not yours, and, and the things that need to be cleaned up in my life. And, and, and maybe some of them will be similar to yours. And maybe yours will, will you know, be similar to mine. And then yet other things that never occurred to you. And, 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 and so God is in the process of cleansing us. That's what it means to walk in the light. It's an active desire to be Christ, the child of God, to, to, to rest in Christ and to be like Him. Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to use this verse to lead us into communion. Verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Not you reflect the light. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And we could go to the spirit of uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness, peace, long-suffering, those things. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is, a shameful, it is shameful even to talk of the things that uh, they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. In other words, there's plenty of, of, of worldly lights out there to absorb your time. Seek to have the light of Christ guiding you. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And some people, you know, will stop there, but it's it's the next phrase that the, the scripture verse that, that puts it together. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Don't get caught up with the things that take you away and absorb your soul over here. 
Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And then, as you are filled with the Spirit, look at what it says, the transformation. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything. To God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why? Because Christ submitted Himself for our sins. He emptied Himself, became a man, and a man of service to men, even to the point of the cross. To say the words on the cross, it is finished. So that we could rest in the hope of a great Jerusalem, a new heavens and a new earth, above all other things. I ask you to, uh, the ushers to come and uh, pass the communion out. And hold it until we've all been served and, and we'll share it together. Give me Jesus. 
Jesus was betrayed, sharing a meal together with His disciples. He took a loaf of bread and after giving thanks, He broke the bread and He gave it to His disciples. And He gave it a, a symbolism. He said, this is My body that is broken for you. And as often as you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of Me. conclusion of the meal. Jesus took the final cup of wine and again gave it a picture for us to have until He comes again. He said, this is My blood poured out to you for you to purchase the covenant. Referring to the covenant of grace. And he said He would do this again only at the marriage feast. In other words, when He comes again. And so we are to do this every time we gather together, it says, until He comes again. And then we'll do it together with Him. He said, do it in remembrance of Him. Father, again this morning we come to You with thanksgiving. As we prepare our hearts for the Advent season, celebrating the hope that You have given us. All the other hustle and bustle and all of the other lights that, 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 that are around are things that, that distract us. We ask, Lord, that You would, would move them aside that we would not lose sight of You in its midst. That You would be the guiding light. Light our path. I think of 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 of, of the psalm of the psalms words in Psalm one nineteen to to the lamp to my, to my the light to my feet and the, and the lamp to my path. Lord, just just be with us, guide us, direct us. And where we are are are, are stepping sideways or backwards, Lord, we ask through Your Holy Spirit You would bring conviction to to seek Your face and. And to, to realign us, Lord, with Your pathway and, 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 and Your direction. Cause us to be the testimony of God in us to share with other people. The hope in us to share with other people, especially this time of the year. And, and again, we ask that You would go with us, be with us. Cause us to see and hear uh, the world with, with your, your eyes and Your ears and to speak Your words of comfort and hope. In Jesus' name.